My name is Wizzy Brown. And I'm Bryant McDowell. And I'm Molly Keck. And we're with the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service Department of Entomology, and this is Bugs by the Yard, where we hope to increase your enthusiasm about bugs in the urban landscape. Welcome back to Bugs by the Yard. This week, we are going to be talking and sharing some of our favorite insects, the ones that we think are maybe the prettiest or the coolest or the most interesting or whatnot. And this is kind of sparked because I don't know if y'all do, but I get this question all the time, especially if you do a kid's class or a school or something like that. That's always their question is, what's your favorite bug? And I don't love that question when I get it because I have lots of favorite bugs and it kind of just depends on the situation. Like we'll talk about insects and I'll be like, that one's my favorite. And then we'll talk, keep talking and I'm like, well, that one's my favorite too. So I have lots of different favorites. I, I think if you've got millions of species, it's impossible to pick one single favorite type of insect. But do you guys have just one that you go to when people ask what your favorite bug is? And everybody that knows me knows what mine is. I love cockroaches. Cockroach queen. Cockroaches. Why do you like cockroaches? I love cockroaches and they're amazing because they haven't changed a whole lot. If you look at a cockroach in the fossil record and you look at a cockroach today, they're going to look pretty much the same. So they haven't changed for millions of years. I mean, that is amazing. They got it right (laughs) such a long time ago that they're pretty much look the same. You know, I also, I love scarab beetles. Yeah. I'm not going to talk about them today because I think that we really need to do like a whole podcast on scarab beetles because there's such a huge diversity right there. So I have three cockroaches to talk about, which I know everybody's (laughs) going to be super excited about. And then my other one was a bold jumper. Oh, wait, say that one more time. You love what? Jumping spiders. Jumping spiders. Yes. Aren't they adorable? I mean, they're not insects, but you know, they are super cute. There's a, we have a Texas species that is, I think it's species name is like Texana or something. We actually have our own Texas species of jumping spider. That is awesome. Brian, what are your favorite insect, favorite group? This is a really hard question, but I do have one that I I go to anytime someone asks and they never know what it is, which is fine. This was the very first insect that I caught for a collection in high school. And when I saw it, I was like, what is that? Uh, We were camping out on the Pernalis River. So Dobson flies. I don't know if anyone knows, but... So yeah, I, I found a male Dobson fly and, and we'll talk a little more about why it was so impressive, but I was terrified of it. And then it's that I'm terrified, but fascinated at the same exactly. time. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. They they look like aliens. Like if you didn't know any better, you'd be, this is a prehistoric animal that came back to haunt me. Yes. Yeah, I thought you were going to say scorpion flies because those ones are banana looking too. I mean, they're with yeah. big, with that long snout and the weird tail and yes. yeah, those, those are, are super too. cool. Yeah. There's like, a lot of weird bugs. Yeah. As we, as you're talking about it, cause you said, I was thought you were going to say like a snake fly or a mantispid. Cause they're so, I don't want to say they're rare. They're just rarely seen. Oh, those are my other two that I have. See, look, there we covered all of Brian's. (laughs) I stole your thunder. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Those two exact ones were the other two. I put Dobson flies, snake flies, mantispids, and scorpion flies. But I have reason for why they're all amazing. Essentially, I'm going to say you like weird looking bugs. I do. I do. Y'all are naming really good ones. And now I feel like mine are dumb. I like 
Well, it doesn't matter where I am. When I find a praying mantis, I get excited and I'm like calling the kids outside and they are so sick of seeing praying mantises at this point. (laughs) But I mean, you see one in your garden and you just get excited and they're pretty basic bugs. I mean, everybody knows what a praying mantis is. I like honeybees, but I don't know that they're my favorite. I like Mexican honey wasps. Um, Those are so cute with their pudgy abdomens. Oh, they're adorable. They have like little badonkadonk butts that they carry around. Um, (laughs) And I really like, all mine are pretty basic. And then my favorite butterfly is, well, it's a, it's a combo, either a zebra. Actually, I should probably say that one's my favorite because I, I don't know if I've told this story before, but I've once at a camp, we saw one, we were out collecting on the trail and we saw one kind of flying around and I stole some kid's net, pushed him out of the way and went after that thing. And I wasn't going to share it. If I caught it, I was like knocking kids down right and left as I was going after that. You see those and you think I'm in the rainforest. They just look like they shouldn't belong here. I don't think I caught it. (laughs) (laughs) Those kids are like, Hey, I know. They were like, Miss Molly, sorry, guys, you got in my way. Priorities. <laughs> For real. <laughs> All right, Brian. So what is one of your favorites just because that was like the first one that you were really kind of fascinated by? Yeah. So in high school, I competed on the like FFA entomology teams. And so we had visited the entomology department and got to see their collection. And I think I was just really inspired coming back to Johnson city. Just a reminder, I'm from little town, nowhere. And, uh, we, we were on a camping trip. There was a bunch of lights and these guys are attracted to porch lights, or if you black light, they'll come out to a black light. I saw it on a tree and the mandibles on that thing were so impressive. They look like tusks for, for our listeners. If I can paint an image for you, it's, it's kind of a short, stout-bodied insect with really long, very... Lacy. Yes, yes. So they belong to the order Neuroptera. And, and all of those insects characteristically have very heavy veins on their wings. So think like a neuron, I guess. Mm-hmm. So. As larvae, these guys are predators in streams and and rivers. And so as adults, like I mentioned, if you're near a stream or river, these guys will come out. Here in Texas, anyway, we've got sexually dimorphic species. So the males are going to have those really long modified mandibles. They don't use them to eat. They're kind of, I always say that they're like hooks, but it's not like they're pointing downward, if you will. They're kind of inward toward one another, like pinchers almost. Um, and they use those for competition against other males and then, or, you know, grabbing onto females for, for mating here in the state, well, in the United States and Canada, we've got species as large as 7.1 inches really? uh, of a, of a wingspan. So that's insane. Yeah. Um, and then some of the Asian species get up to 8.5 inches. Really? So yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Right. Yeah. And then, uh, probably my, my fun fact. So and I think I was going to say for the majority of these, they kind of are a fun fact, but uh, males will give the females nuptial gifts. Really? So, yeah, yeah. Anything so, good? Or is it one of those that they give her something crappy just to distract her? 
This one is a nutrient-rich spermatophore that's eaten oh, by nice. the female. So for our <laughs> listeners, a nuptial gift, it's it's usually a nutritional gift given by one partner um, in some some animals. So this can, in some cases, like Wizzy mentioned, distract the female for mating or in others, um, it's thought to increase their fecundity. So to make them more sexually reproductive. Or like it's a protein source or something so they can yes. reduce eggs. Yes, exactly. So if so a spermatophore is like a, a cluster of sperm, right? Like that's a plug. What, I, that's what I thought. Or it's is it encapsulating? So oh, is it like a case around it? Yeah. That, yeah. So yeah. That she's eating the case around it and then and so then what does she do with what's inside of it? Is that how she becomes impregnated or she, he had, he also mates with her still. Yeah. So I was trying to get more details on that because some of them do it before some do it after. Cause mate. don't dragonflies or damselflies do that where the male will plug her up with the spermatophore to keep her from being able to mate with someone else. Yeah. And then they right? even evolved in some of them to have like scoops. So a male <gasps> yeah, dragonfly they, will they go rip and... out the, the sperm uh-huh. of the previous one. <laughs> like that's fantastic. Bugs are crazy. Now I want to talk about bed bugs. I know. <laughs> I know. We need to do like an insect reproduction one at some point. Yeah. Yes. We need to d- title it insect sex. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah, we definitely should. So my first insect is the pale bordered field cockroach. And I love so much. I have a tattoo of one on my ankle. And these are actually cockroaches that are native to Mexico and Texas. So they are not considered a pest. They're typically going to be found outside. They are active in the day, which is unusual for cockroaches. And these ones are small. They're about a half an inch in size. And they are kind of like a dark brown to black in the wings. And then on the pronotum, which is the shield-shaped structure that kind of protects the head of cockroaches, That and the head is both kind of like a reddish, orangish color. And then the bordered part comes with the white border that goes around that pronotum. And they also have it going down the wings. And they are just, they're so, so pretty. I just, I love them. So adults are sometimes confused with other insects because they, like I said, are active during the day. And a lot of times they will visit flowers for pollen and nectar And since people don't think of cockroaches doing that sort of thing, they really just think, oh, it's a beetle or, you know, whatever. They just kind of blow it off. Um, They are relatively short-lived. Females will keep the egg case with them, very similar to like German cockroaches and stuff. And they're, they're a scavenger. So they're great decomposers. You can also keep them as pets. Not that everybody wants pet cockroaches, but it's actually a really great field to get in because the pale bordered field cockroaches that I found, they're uh, either $5 each for a cockroach is $5, or you can get 12 for $40. What a bargain. (laughs) Yeah. I was just like, you have got to be kidding me. Where do you find them? If you wanted to go out and collect them, do you see them in nature pretty readily or is it? Yeah, they're, they're actually really common. If you, I mean, they're just going to be in like vegetation outside. I mean, are they crawling around and since they like pollen and nectar, are they more prevalent maybe in the springtime when things are blooming? Yeah. When it gets blazing hot, everything's kind of 
not doing anything, but yeah, spring. And then that kind of fall where we get that kind of cooler temperature, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I just, they're, they're so pretty, absolutely beautiful. So that's my, my first insect. Molly, do you want any details on yours? You guys really prepared. And I just made a list in my head of what I like. I guess, so I'm also going to retract what I said. I guess my favorite as a whole, like as a group, my favorite insects are probably always social insects. And I think they're just ones that I deal with more or like I have been studying or just, you know, am immersed in. So initially it was always fire ants. Like, so I think the ticket is what your favorite insect has to be, what you would be okay getting a tattoo of, because I don't have any (laughs) tattoos, but I wanted to in college to get like a couple of little fire ants, um, like on my foot. That's what I wanted. And that's what I did my work on was fire ants. So I used to love and think fire ants were amazing. But then when I started doing beekeeping and learning about bees, I was like, I studied the wrong insect because their social system is just way I don't know if it's more advanced, but it just is a little bit more interesting. So if I got a tattoo now, I'd be okay with a bee. I wouldn't want to get a, a butterfly. So maybe that's not my favorite tattoo. That's too, everyone gets a butterfly. Um, <laughs> but I just think like social insects and how they get along in their caste system and how the workers all have specific jobs. And those jobs are, you don't like apply for those jobs. You're, you are given that job and you just know that's your job based on your age. And with honeybees, it's, pretty specific, you know, for the first, however many days of your life, you are a nurse bee, and then you graduate to be able to produce royal jelly. And now you're an advanced nurse bee. And then you, you know, you move out further and further, but you never have like a, a 32 day old bee who's still nursing. You have, those guys are off foraging for flowers. So just like the dynamics inside of a hive is, and then even an ant nest is like pretty mind-blowing how they can get along and work better than humans can. So just as their own little society, they're in some ways more advanced than us. That's why I like them. It's because the women run the hive. Probably so. Yeah. (laughs) Probably so. (laughs) Not a bad deal. And did y'all know, so this is a fun fact that I still think blows my mind. So like with fire ants and ants, they're like truly sterile workers where they cannot mate and they cannot produce offspring. But in honeybees, the workers can, they only produce unfertilized eggs. So they can only make uh, boys and fertilized eggs become girls because they have a stinger. So they can't accept a male, but it's the queen that suppresses their hormones and their ovaries. So they can't start laying eggs. So when the queen is weak or she's gone, they'll just start doing it, which means they're not truly sterile, which I think is, I don't know. It just seems that's just weird. It's fascinating. That's it is. Yeah. That's something that's- else that we need to do one on. We need to do one on like honeybees specifically and just kind of like all the ins and outs of all that because they are seriously complex organisms. Yeah. Their biology is wild. All right, Bryant, what do you got next? So next I've got snake flies, which we, we mentioned a little bit before. So these guys are also in Neuroptera or Raphidioptera. It depends on which taxonomist do you want to argue with? So they're predatory insects, adult snake flies. If you know what a lace wing looks like, it's kind of a um, black version of that. Yeah. It's, a, but with an extended, with, with an extended with a weird prothorax. Head. Yeah. yeah. Think, think of, think of like a lace wing and uh, I don't want to say a praying mantis because we're, we're going to get into that, but it is kind of like a praying mantis. Yeah. They have this elongated prothorax uh, and at the tip of it is, is their head. 
They are attracted to lights. You can find these at your porch lights at night. In North America, they're found west of the Rockies. They range from Southwest Canada all the way to, I saw the Mexican Guatemalan border, which is interesting. Uh, So you don't find these, well, I guess I'll backtrack a little bit. Part of their life cycle in order to pupate, they need to go through a period of cool temperatures of at least... I saw zero degrees Celsius, 32 degrees Fahrenheit. And so, really, yeah. So in, in labs, they've actually tried to rear these guys out in labs. So they did a constant temperature in a laboratory and essentially they developed compound eyes and wing pads of the pupae, but they were never able to actually pupate and develop into full adults. So they, it's almost like they have to experience that moment of like diapause or think like, uh, do blue bonnets also do that? Right. Where they have to have like a cold, some, some plants, right. In order for the seed to germinate, they have to go through like a cold snap. Yeah. I don't know if it's blue bonnets, but I think you're right. It might not be. So yeah, even in the Eastern hemisphere, Northern India, Thailand, you can find them throughout Europe and Asia, but it's more of that Northern region. Yeah, just another fascinating group. Once you see them, you're like, okay, they look unlike anything else. I have a story about them. I have two, actually. I collected one. And my parents have a lake house. And so I was looking out the porch and on the screen porch store, there was a snake fly and it was like moving his abdomen really funny. And I collected it and put it in a baggie. And on the drive home, it laid a ton of eggs inside the baggie. So she was moving around, I guess, to do that. And I took her and I just, I didn't, she was too small to pin because they're really thin and delicate. So I just (laughs) glued her to a index card and my, my intern at the time, she, it was also an entomologist was like, Oh my gosh, what did you do? They're so not commonly caught. And I just smushed it to a wad of glue. And so it's like, you know, floating around in there miserable to, to God. I was like, well, I couldn't, I wanted it for my collection, but I didn't know how to do it. And then another time, uh, one of them flew through the door and landed on my shoulder and I about spazzed out total bug geek out. And I put it in a baggie and I put it on the counter and Casey, my husband threw it away. Like he does everything. And I was like, do you know how uncommon those are? Well, I kid you not like two weeks later, I was at the neighbor's house and another one flew in and landed on my shoulder. I was freaking out. And my neighbor was like, what? is wrong with you. And I was like, this is like, this is akin to you seeing two mountain lions in your life. This is amazing. So that one I do have collected, but I think I put in alcohol instead of a wad of Elmer's glue. Yeah. The universe has presented you with many opportunities. I know. I know. I'm impressed. Three times. I'm like a magnet for them. Yet I've never, I don't think I've ever seen a pale bordered cockroach though. So, oh, well, my pale bordered cockroach story is I was coming out of Target and I saw one crawling. Well, it was like crawling across the parking lot. And so I'm like chasing it on my hands and knees. I like (laughs) dropped my Target bags and I'm crawling on my hands and knees trying to get a picture of it. And people in the parking lot are looking at me like I am on drugs. You're like, I just dropped my contact. Calm down. Sorry. Um, (laughs) Trying to do something over here. I used to work in the drive-through of a bank and we would get web spinners in, in Beadinids. Oh yeah. Yeah. In, in the little drive-through, I don't know, would you say building room? Just so random, but. I used to always get those in my pool and, and I thought they were pretty common and Wizzy's one that mentioned they're not very common to find. And I'm like, oh, 
Well, I've, I've killed many of them sitting on my, <laughs> on my pool float. <laughs> yeah. They're another one that I would always find at the, like the patio lights at night, which yeah. I, I don't know, maybe a lot of entomologists spend a lot of time just I, I go outside. Ooh, what can we find today? You know, that's where you catch them. <laughs> go to lights. My next one is another cockroach. Big shock there. This one is it's called either the well, it's called a Cuban cockroach, but sometimes people refer to it as a green banana roach. <laughs> and they are native to Cuba, but you can find them in Texas. You can find them in East Texas, Central Texas, and then along the Gulf Coast. And they are about an inch in size and they are this pale green color, almost kind of like celadon. And they are just so beautiful, but they're only that green color in the adult stage. If you have the immatures, they are kind of like a dark brownish black. So you don't necessarily equate the immatures that are going to turn into the adults because they're completely different colors. But are they kind of narrow, like a Cuban cockroaches? So you would just by shape, you might Maybe. Yeah. Like if you, if you know, I mean, they kind of look like, well, I'm going to like say Parco Blada, but nobody knows what the heck that is. Those are some of the wood cockroaches. So they're kind of that body shape. Yeah. But these, again, it's another outside cockroach. These ones are great decomposers. So they're going to be found in usually like leaf litter, rotting vegetation, firewood piles. A lot of times you'll find them in your compost pile. And it's thought that they came to the United States on a shipment of bananas. Nobody really has confirmed that. But this is another one that you can also get as pets. So it's possible that there are also incidental escapes from having these as pets. And that's how they have been introduced into various areas. But another one that is attracted to lights and these ones are kind of like our typical cockroach and that they are nocturnal and going to be active at night. Yeah. I can get them at lights pretty easily. Like if you're out somewhere, not like so such an urban place, but they actually like to hide inside of the, there's kind of like a void um, in the top of your beehive and where everything, all the housing is. And they like to hang out in there. So like, but I'm, I think I'm disturbing them during the day. They're just probably going to sleep. Cause I'm not obviously not in the hive at, at nighttime. Surprise, surprise. My next one is also a neuropterin. They're so diverse. They are. Uh, so mantid flies or mantispids, however you want to call them. So as their name suggests, they, you, you could, again, we're taking the body plan of like a lacewing and then on the top of it, imagine a praying mantid. Uh, so this is a case of convergent evolution. And what that means is they have evolved these structures, analogous structures that have similar form and function. We're talking about mantids, but they essentially evolved those separately. So they still use those four legs as, as a means to grab their prey. The difference is that mantid flies are active predators, whereas like a praying mantid is going to be more of a reclusive sit and wait type predator. A lot of the mantispids are wasp mimics. So they are very, I say a lot of them. Some of them are where they have these really striking yellow, red, brown tones. Just like a paper wasp. Right, right. Yeah. Just like the paper wasp uh, that we have. Uh, what I really like about them. So their their larvae are kind of complicated. They are predators, but different subfamilies specialize on different prey. 
Um, so one subfamily is a sedentary parasitoid on on bees, wasps, or scarab beetle larvae. Really? Yeah, crazy. Another one is a predator of just small arthropods, and they are mobile. And then the third, there's not much information on, on the last one, but the third one uh, is the most specialized. And so they actually seek out female spiders in their egg sacs. Um, and so... As larvae, they will go into these spider egg sacs and they essentially will drain all of those egg contents by their modified mouth parts. They'll pupate in the egg sac and then emerge as adults. That is so cool. That is wild. I had a guy one time call the office years and years and years ago. He was out working with some other guy and they were like digging a ditch or something. And he said, I found a new species of something. It's like a praying mantis and a, and a wasp have a hybrid. And it had landed on his shovel. And uh, he came, he came right into the office and I was like, what he's describing makes me think of a mantispid mantis fly, but I had only ever seen the fully green ones. I hadn't seen that species that looks just like a mix between a, you know, what a lot of us grew up calling yellow jackets, but they're not, they're actually paper wasps and a little tiny praying mantis. And so thankfully I did some research so that when he came in, I wasn't as shocked um, and I was able to tell him what it was. I looked real smart, but he was, I mean, he was convinced that he had, that he had found a brand new species, came all the way to the office, all excited about it during the day. I never knew this existed until I was in, oh gosh, it was probably like my third year of, of my undergrad. So definitely one of those groups that once you see it, you're like, there's no way this is real. Yeah. They're adorable. They're really neat looking. And just for our listeners, I will try to include pictures of all of these groups that we're talking about. So you can go into our show notes and, and click on into those to actually view what they do look like. When I was in undergrad, my like senior seminar, one hour class thing that you did and my project that was just accidentally assigned to me, I didn't even choose it was on convergent evolution with praying mantises and mantispids. So I did a whole thing on it. My partner didn't say a single word. I did all the talking because I knew it all. All right. My third insect. So I did my first roach was native to Texas. My second one is located in Texas, but not native. And my third one is nowhere near Texas. Well, I guess it kind of is depending on where you're in the world. So this one doesn't have a common name. It's, it's Lucha Hormetica Luque, and it is found in Ecuadorian rainforests. Do you think, well, when you describe it in my mind, the way that that Lucha Luchadorecchia makes me think of luchadors. So I'm mm -hmm. interested to see how you're going to describe it. And if he like has a mask, like a luchador, maybe, Oh, kind of, but oh. not really. Okay. But they, they were actually, they were located near a volcano. And unfortunately, um, the volcano has since erupted. And so they are extinct, uh, not in really high numbers, extinct at this point, but they're about an inch long. They're kind of like a light brown tannish color. And they have on their pronotum, they've got like a big, dark kind of black spot. And then in that black spot, they have two yellow. And then they have some dark lines on the side of the wings and then one where the wings come together. But the cool thing about these and why I love them oh so much is that these are bioluminescent. And most insects that are bioluminescent are, they, they have that to warn that, you know, they're poisonous or something, but these actually have that bioluminescence to mimic a particular click beetle 
and that click beetle is toxic. One of the reasons that I love these other than their cool and bioluminescent cockroaches, when they fluoresce or they're doing their bioluminescent, they look like little Jawas from Star Wars. Yeah, I just Googled a picture. They do. It is like, cause they, cause it's just the, when they bioluminesce, just those little yellow eyes go through. It look yes. How it adorable. Just like a Jawa. Those are cute. My fourth favorite because I'm indecisive. Um, this one is not in Neuroptra. So we're, it's we're switching its own it up. Thing. It's its own thing. Macoptrin. So Macoptra, uh, the family Panorpidae. So a very unusual looking insect. So their wings are usually going to be banded yellow and black with this kind of red brown body. They are sexually dimorphic here. So the females, that that body just kind of tapers on, um, ends toward the abdomen. And then on the males, the tip of the abdomen is kind of modified into what looks like a stinger and it's, and it's held up over the body, similar to what a scorpion would do. Um, so if, if a male were to land on you, I'm sure most people would be absolutely terrified, but no worries. Uh, they are harmless. They are really lazy flyers. I have collected kind of bad flyers too. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, we went out to Lick Creek Park in in College Station to collect, and you could find these by. I would say there were hundreds just flying around. It was kind of a rainy day, and that really was messing with their flight. Um, and so we collected probably like 30 or so. And then I felt guilty w- wondering if I was going to, you know, damage the <laughs> population. I had never seen these guys in central Texas until I moved back once COVID hit and I moved back to Marble Falls area. And you found them? I actually, yes, yes. They were flying just in our little side yard, which did back up to a heavily wooded area. So these will be found in those kind of dense forested areas. They feed on dead insects. They may be opportunistic on other dead animals in the area. Another fun fact, though, they do participate in that courtship behavior. So they do offer the nuptial gifts. Uh, These ones can give females usually a, a dead insect as an offering to kind of distract her while mating, or they will secrete spittle or kind of a like a a pellet of saliva for for the female to to eat. I was reading a paper that was published in 2015 that it was discovered that scorpion flies will actually play a role in forensic entomology. I yeah. Yeah, so I I had never heard of that and I think I don't know if it was the there's a body farm in San Marcos, right? There is, yeah. Texas State does it. I know the research was done in Texas. I don't know if it was that specific body farm, but they essentially at these body farms, they will lay out corpses and essentially observe the activity with different variables. So, you know, if it's rainy or cold or what have you, what kind of activity do you find on on those bodies? And so uh, it was found that scorpion flies would actually show up on this specific body within 20 minutes of placing it outside, it beat the Californids. So the, the blowflies wow. that you would typically see, they do like moist areas. So they kind of were gathering on, on the face, the eyes, those kind of orifices that were already open. Um, they're not actively like digging down into the body. I know this is a little gruesome, but it's super fun to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> what I was reading about that too, is that finding them on a body is an indication that it's like really fresh. Like they won't go to the older 
Right. Yeah. So I think the longest that they stayed on was like six days or something. Well, that's actually pretty rank. I mean, that's a good body. Yeah. Given the the body at the time had been deceased, I think for it was like October 1st or 9th. And then they it was essentially put into a refrigeration area. They performed an autopsy, did all that stuff and then laid it out on the 22nd. Um, I'm vaguely remembering these dates. So the body itself was a bit older maybe had some time to further decompose a bit, but Mm -hmm. um, they also did this with recently deceased cats and found the same thing. So. Interesting. Are there lots of species or is the one that we've always collected in Texas, like our lone species? When I looked at our publications, it was one species that was mentioned and it's Panorpus something. I can't remember the name, but we do have a publication on that one species. And I would imagine since they need it pretty, like the soil, because I think, don't they lay their eggs in the soil and they develop there? Yes. Probably further west, you're not going to find them. It's And in fact, I'm kind of surprised you found them in Marble Falls, because I always can remember from school, them saying it's really in East Texas. um, Right. Yeah. I found them here in my neighborhood on the walking trail, walking the dog. Really? On particularly wet years or does it matter? It was kind of late summer, so it couldn't have been that wet. Yeah. I, I will say these guys, anytime I've seen them, it's been late summer slash early fall. They're, they're kind of once yeah. that once that weather change is happening, that's whenever you're going to see the adults. And they're one generation per year. So I think that the larvae spend all of that time mm-hmm. getting their nutrients. Pupation occurs toward the end of summer, and then you'll see the adults emerge later in the season. I remember that they were kind of seasonal too, because back in the day when Wizzy and I took what we called into 301, it was two semesters. It was 301 and 302. And we would try to collect, Micoptera was like the second semester Mm -hmm. order, but we would always be told, go out and collect this one. You don't know what it is. And we're not going to talk about it because you'll want it for next semester. Cause it was, it it was, it's, it's its own order. So it was like a big, you know, it was a good point. And you get more points for orders. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then the collection will steal your specimens. Only if you pin it nicely. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think I donated my whole thing to them. Could have an insect. I was telling Brian, I was a TA for 302 and I felt so guilty taking stuff from people's collections, but (laughs) that's how we get the student collections that you guys learned from. Yeah. I spent countless hours on my collection and pinning and keying that there was no way. I I have it hanging up actually behind me in my office. I I love it so much. But yes, that there were some of the the really good specimens that they do kind of take walking sticks. Like I had a really impressive walking stick I was telling Wizzy about that I regret to this day submitting, but that's okay. (laughs) You'll catch another one. One day. One day. All right. So my last favorite is not an insect. It's actually a a group of spiders. And this is probably something that's not uncommonly known to anybody who has heard me talk in the past, what, 20 years. And those are the jumping spiders. I absolutely love them. I think that they are so stinking cute. They are cute. They have cute little eyes. Most specifically the, the genera, I think it's Phidippus. Yeah. They're the largest sized jumping spiders. And even then they're still pretty small, 
but they, they're just small. They've got these compact kind of stocky bodies. They're fuzzy. While they have eight eyes, they've got like four great big ones that go across the front of the cephalothorax that they use to see. And, you know, usually they're these like really bright kind of bold contrasting colors. And the chelicerae usually are like iridescent and really bright. So the chelicerae are on the front of the head and that's kind of like mouth parts. So they can be like metallic blue or green or purple. And they're just, oh my God, they're just so beautiful. And the other cute thing, if you have the males, um, some of the males will have, they call them eyebrows, but they're not really eyebrows, (laughs) but these little tufts of hair that come up over those four great big eyes. And these are active during the day. They're active hunters. They're jumping after stuff. And they're just super, super cute. And these are another one that has really, you know, people keep tarantulas as pets. Mm -hmm. These are a big one that have kind of really surged in popularity the past few years where people are keeping jumping spiders as pets and they make these little habitats that look like little playgrounds for them. (laughs) And it's, it's kind of crazy because again, you know, they're super expensive. It's like 20 to $50 for one spider. Are they Special species, or are they the same ones we can find on our flowers? We can find them here in Texas. I'm sure you can't find them in yeah. other places, but you know, yeah, I'm like, if you want a jumping spider in Texas, you probably just go in your backyard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here in Texas, we have there's like that black species that has that really pretty green, iridescent mm-hmm. blue look. That I, I've also seen that be sold online. I do follow a woman on social media who who does make these little habitats and it's, it's like a little fairy garden that they set up for them. Yeah. they'll have like little (laughs) swings and playscapes and (laughs) I wonder, do they use the swings? I don't know. They do make little burrows or like tree houses and they will go in there. When you see them, they look like they want to have a conversation with you. I know They're they're very cute. They're very curious. And they do this little like head tilt (laughs) And it's, it's like, they're actually paying attention and they'll put their little legs up and yeah. oh God, they're just adorable. Yeah. They have personality. Have you seen Lucas, the spider on, on YouTube? Yes, he's amazing. <laughs> no, but now I need to write it down. Yeah. Parents show your kids, Lucas, the spider. He's very, very adorable. And very personable. Yes. Is it a real spider or a cartoon? He's a little animated jumping jumping spider. He's always finding himself in situations and it's kind (laughs) of like the Eeyore of the insect world, I guess. (laughs) He's depressed. Yeah. He's much happier. Well, he's, he's upset because he's trying to find a friend, but yes. Yes. (laughs) I like bugs. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of how I walked into this podcast today. (laughs) That's how I walked into this job. (laughs) Didn't we all? Yep. (laughs) Well, thanks for joining us this week on Bugs by the Yard, and we will catch you next time. Howdy to our listeners and fellow bug nerds. We want to take the time to tell you to check out our show notes on each episode and for more information and supplemental materials on the topics covered. Additionally, if you have any questions or recommendations for what you may want to learn more about, you can send us an email to www.bugsbytheyard at gmail.com. 
If you enjoy this content and would like to learn more about structural pests that may invade your home, check out our other podcast, Unwanted Guests, brought to you by Texas A&M University AgriLife Extension and the Department of Entomology. As always, please subscribe or follow the podcast feed to make sure you never miss an episode.